Good morning, everybody. My name's Alex Dugan. For those of you who don't know me, I help lead up here sometimes. Um, I'm going to read the scripture this morning. It's going to be Luke 2, 39 through 52. And i got to find the right page. Here we go. Um, that was just a little trick in case you guys needed some time to get to your page. Just kidding. All right, Luke 2, 39 through 52. Um, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. As we get to gather together, and proclaim that Jesus is risen. And as we think about Jesus' birth, Luke, traveling with Paul, is, is hearing all of these narratives and experiences, and he's met with Theophilus, a young believer, and so he's trying to put into a frame of reference and to put these facts and details down to help a young believer grow in his knowledge of who God is and what he's called and, and what the purpose of Theophilus might be. And as we gather together and, and start with a birth story of all birth stories, right? We've all had birth stories, whether you, you're a, a uncle or aunt or maybe a husband or a mother, and, and I'll never forget from, from Jenna telling me that, that she's pregnant with a, a donut in the oven, and I didn't really get the correlation, like a cinnamon roll bun in the oven. So it took me a little while, and then, then we, we went through this, this uh, birth process of like 23 hours, which felt like a week. You know, it was so long. People were going in the next door, just having kids and walking out, and I'm like, hey, is this supposed to take this long? Like, everyone else seems to have this, like, figured out, and we're struggling. So we, we get up to Hume Lake, this summer camp, and, and the, the camp director's like, hey, tell me about the story. I'm like, what? You want to hear about the birth story? Like, is that what dudes do when your dad's? Like, I didn't know that was part of the dad club. Like, we brag about the birth story. Like, that, ours was kind of like, how long do we have? Because I thought this was just lunch. Like, 23 hours. What do you want to know? 
comparing that to my niece who they went to the hospital and were told to go back home and come back like a day or two later and then hours later she was born on the way to the hospital in the car which like that's a whole nother birth story now she's nicknamed speedy <laughs> appropriately right and here we have Luke. He's like, hey, I'm going to tell you about the gospel. Let's start with Jesus. This, this government's in control and they want to do a census. So there's Mary and Joseph and they're engaged but basically married without consummating in a, in a physical act. So they have to go to Bethlehem and it happens she's pregnant, which is a perfect time to go on a long journey uh, on foot or horseback. And, and they're there and there's no room for them. So they happen to get a little spot with a little manger and the birth story, the announcement. There's no family waiting in the lobby for 23 hours, you know, calling in to work. Hey, I got a nephew or a niece or a granddaughter or grandson. No, there's nobody. It's just Joseph and Mary. And in that day, Joseph wasn't supposed to be there. I didn't know that either. I was like, oh, this now after going through that, it's like, I can see why. Like old school, it's like, hey, just go have a drink and we'll take care of this. Us women, we'll fi we got it figured out. Okay, you get out of here. We'll let you know. Once a baby's born, you know, and now I'm like, okay, I kind of see some wisdom in that, you know, there's, because when the doctor showed up for us, the nurse was like, hey, the doctor's here. I'm like, where? Where's he at? I'm, it's like 12 hours. Where's this, the doctor, tell him to put the Call of Duty online, just tell him to pause it, tell his friends, he'll come back, resume to online gaming. I have a kid who needs to come out, like we're paying him good money. What's the problem? But no, the angels show up to Who? Not the kings, not the business leaders, not the religious. They show up to shepherds who deliver lambs. And, and they would take only the spotless lambs and put them in a stone manger. And so this nativity scene is set somewhere that the shepherds would have known exactly where to see Jesus. And the angels show up and they pronounce this birth that wasn't just a normal, just another birth. This was God becoming man. Good news of great joy for all people, they declared. And then Luke goes from the birth and this amazing scene with shepherds coming in and Mary's putting some more pieces together and they leave proclaiming. And then he jumps into 12-year-old Jesus staying back and letting his, his parents go along the journey. So why is Jesus still the focus? Jesus continues to be the focus as the angels proclaimed and they said in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. This word shalom, this word peace is not just, oh, I, I pray I have peace. My life's gone crazy. Maybe some financial or relational struggle. No, it's this true peace that's much more than a truce in, in battles of life. It means well-being, health, prosperity, security, soundness, completeness. It's complete. You know the, the war is raging, the battle's going on around you, and you have shalom. You have peace because God is in you now. The Holy Spirit's in you. And that's where Luke was talking yesterday, or last Sunday. Time goes by like that. And, and Luke's sharing, and he's like, man, the Holy Spirit was on Elizabeth and, and gave birth to, to John. And uh, the Holy Spirit gave this revelation to Zechariah, and people didn't quite see it. And I was like, oh, man, they, they missed it because the Holy Spirit... Didn't reveal it to them yet. And the Holy Spirit and the angels revealed it to the shepherds and they got it. And here, the backdrop was similar to our culture today. Taxes are high, climbing. Unemployment is high, climbing. Morals are slipping lower and lower. The military and police state gain control and dominated 
with Roman law being the law of the land, Greek philosophy and Jewish religion was not enough to satisfy the worship of worshipers. We're all worshipers. We worship ourselves. We worship our stuff. We worship our spouse. We worship our kids. We worship. We're made to worship. And we're made to desire, because of sin, control and wisdom and, and manipulation. And so we see that just grip the culture. And in the midst of that, Jesus is born. And we see three things in this passage. One, righteous parents, Joseph and Mary, Luke 2, 1 through 20. And then the revealed purpose of Jesus, Luke 2, 21 through 38, that sets up our main teaching in, in Luke 2, 39 through 52, the responsible parents. So some comfort for some parents today um, if you've ever lost a child like Joseph and Mary did. So the righteous parents, Luke 2, 1 through 20. Mary is marrying Joseph and that brings them to Bethlehem, the place where Joseph's family, his lineage is from, to be counted. And the angels tell the shepherds, go, you got to go and see Jesus. It's good news to all people. And so the shepherds go and, and as they tell everyone, that they found the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, exactly where they would place the spotless lambs that would be sacrificed. These spotless lambs would be the sacrificial lamb. And so the shepherds knew exactly where to go. And as they go and they tell everyone, in verse 17, as they, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered. They were wondering. These were the wonder years of Jesus. where Everyone was wondering they saw glimpses of Jesus, but no one really, the, the, the large population, especially religious leaders, they didn't get it. It was these random, just down and out. The, the shepherds culturally weren't even allowed to make a testimony in the court of law. They were so cast out from society, and God was like, the good news is for everybody, so let's get the least of these, the pushed out. I was telling Matt, I was like, I think it's kind of like if instead of my family coming in to see Mike after 23 hours of delivery, the, the guy at Circle K, that, they're like, you know, the checker at Circle K, you never really know who's there. It's always a different person, but he just shows up. He's like, yeah, it's weird. And an angel showed up. I closed down Circle K and I came to check on you. How's Micah doing? What? How did that guy know? I don't even, you weren't there last week. Like, when did you show up, Harry? It's like, What? Like a shepherd shows up and Joseph's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, who are you? Oh, you're a shepherd. Oh, I guess, yeah, this is kind of your spot, right? This is where you put your lambs. So everyone's wondering, and his parents were righteous, and it says in verse 20, shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. What did they hear? What did they see? All they heard was, hey, go check out a baby. And they went and saw a baby, and that was it. And they kept telling everyone about Jesus. We know more, we've seen more, we've experienced way more than the shepherds did, and yet they were arguably a better evangelist than I am. And all they saw was a baby, that glimpse, and that's all they needed. And the parents were righteous because in verse 21, at the end of eight days, Jesus was circumcised and he was called Jesus, the name given to them by the angels. So they obeyed God's word through the angels, and they took Jesus to be circumcised. So this is the revealed purpose we see. 21 through 38. So we see the righteous parents did what was they were called to do. Even though they didn't like it, it wasn't comfortable, they went along with the government's commands, with God's plan and his purpose, allowing government control and movement to make them be in the right place at the right time. And then they were able to take Jesus, which is even just mind-blowing. Because if they were 
not in Bethlehem, they wouldn't have been able to get him. That would have been a hard trek with a newborn within eight days to get him circumcised under the law of Moses. So the first thing we see that his purpose is being revealed is that he meets Moses. He meets the law. Jesus fulfills the law of Moses to be called holy, to be called perfect and sinless. He had to fulfill the law of Moses, which many of you are like, what's the law? Is that 10 commandments? I thought, no, the law of Moses is bigger. You have to go and make sacrifice and be circumcised on the eighth day and then the Ten Commandments and everything. So he was circumcised and that was his first suffering for us. It symbolizes the work of the Savior paying for our sin on the cross. And it's his obedience that as an eight-year-old or an eight-month-old, sorry, eight-day-old, wow, I'm just, time goes by so fast. So eight-day-old, Jesus gets in there. It would have been a lot more painful if he was eight years old. That'd be He's there in the obedience of his parents, eight days, takes him in, which I'm like, man, that, you, you have to have a parents that understand what's going on. So God chooses righteous parents to bring him in. He gets circumcised. And in the process, he meets Simeon and Anna. Simeon was told by God he wouldn't see death until he sees the Savior. Now that's a blessing, but a burden. You know, he's almost 200 years old, they say, and he's waiting and praying. He's like, man, is this Savior ever going to show up? Like God's been silent for 400 years. And so again, Luke's telling this Theophilus. He's like, look, the shepherds saw and they believed. Here Simeon was told he wouldn't see death until Jesus came. He sees Jesus and he proclaims this amazing word that's powerful. But then he says in verse 26, and it shall... Hit it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. In verse 29, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And he says, verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, not just Jews. And he says, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. And his father and mother, mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said, Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In verse 35, a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What a comforting, nice little warm comment to a mom. Hey, eight day old, by the way, your son's going to have this amazing purpose for the salvation of all people in the presence of the Gentiles and a sword's going to pierce your heart so that the thoughts and, and hearts may be revealed of all men. And yet she knew that Jesus was the Christ. She knew the angels told her, the shepherds came and reminded her, and now Simeon's reminding her. And yet Simeon, again, what an amazing, profound thing to say. Simeon, like Mary, we don't know what they knew. We don't know what they remembered. Because if you're like me, you forgot more than you remember, right? And so they're there and they're like, wait, what was this? Oh yeah, we have a baby, but this isn't just our baby. This is God's son for his purpose. And then the shepherds and Simeon and Simeon, he didn't need the feeding of the 5,000. He didn't need to see Lazarus walk out of the grave. He didn't need to be in the boat with the disciples and see the waves that were about to kill them. Jesus say, shh, and have them be still. Simeon just saw the baby and that was enough. And he believed and he said, this is amazing. Now I can go, finally. It's been almost 200 years. Thank you for showing up, Jesus. I'm out. Mary, it's gonna be tough. I'm praying for you guys. And so that's, that's the little glimpse we see, which is amazing. And one of my heroes of the faith, just consistent, waiting for the prayer to be answered, waiting for God's Son to show up and bring the hope. And we see when he says this word, 
Lord. It's a, it's a word that's, that's not always used, but this word is in the English is despot. It means the person who has absolute power and control. So he's saying, you are Lord of all. And, and that is huge because Jesus is either Lord of all of our life or not at all. He's either Lord of all or not at all. And we see the question, does God control your thoughts, desires, and actions? Is Jesus Lord of all of your life? And you're waiting for his plan and his purpose. And it might take weeks, months, years. Anna is the next person we see, the prophetess in verse 36. She's a daughter and she's there and advanced in years, lived with her husband for seven years and and then she's there the rest of her life, just praying and worshiping. And she sees Jesus and proclaims, it says in verse 38, coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. A lot of middle schoolers and high schoolers in, in the room, you might not be getting along with your mom right now, but there's no greater warrior in the battle spiritually than a praying mom. And know that your moms are praying for you and committing to the Lord your work and his purpose and protection and care for you. And man, this week I've heard, I could go on for hours of all these stories of praying moms who were just saying, hey, you're going to that place. I don't agree with you going there, but I'm going to pray for you for your protection. And then just in between service, unprompted, this woman was sharing with me, yeah, on a trip, I fell down a cliff, I should have died. But at that moment, my mom just felt prompted by the Spirit to pray for me, and I was hung up, and so the only thing that died instead of my whole body was just my tooth. And I was like, wow, thank you, Lord, I've needed another cool illustration. For your, that was a, a blessing that in between services I got to give you. And here we see the example. She's content to pray. And there's a missionary I heard about who came off the field and his body was failing and his eyes were going, but he's like, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do God's work. And so he committed eight hours a day to pray. And yet how effective it is, James says, of a righteous man who's praying that will accomplish much. James talks nothing of preachers. Jesus doesn't say a word about teaching and preaching in this format. He's all about prayer. And then through prayer, you have a conversation that will allow a, a truth to be taught. But more is caught than taught, right? People don't know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care is another way to say that. And here, Anna's praying and giving thanks. And then all of a sudden, she's testifying, this is Jesus. So this revealed purpose comes because his parents were righteous and brought Jesus to the temple to, to be holy and to be under the law of Moses. And we see this last part, this third point here, that he had really responsible parents, just phenomenal parents. So as they leave, he's 12 years old, so at 13 they did the whole ceremonial kind of bar mitzvah and the sacrifices and everything. So he'd been learning for 12 years in anticipation for this experience. And of the, the three huge festivals every year, the Passover was the one you were expected to be at. And so you'd save for that, you'd prepare for it, but there's a whole process that would go into it. And so at 12 years old, you would go and show your son, here's where the bulls are killed, here's where the pigeons are killed, and here's this, and here's that, and all these different aspects of the temple over Passover, and it would be all these experiences, this huge festival. And so Jesus is soaking all this up, and his parents leave in verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went according to the custom, when the feast has en was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
His parents did not know it. So historically, they would have a caravan, and all the women and, and kids would be up front, and all the men would be in the back. And, and Jesus is 12, so he's not a boy anymore, but he's not yet a man. He's kind of in that awkward. So Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary. Mary thought Joseph was with Jesus. And then they find him, find out that night, he's not there. He's not with the caravan. And, and so it's nighttime because they circle up around the fire and they're telling stories about Passover and they realize, wait, Jesus isn't with you. And Mary's like, no, he was with you. Remember, he's 12, he's gonna be 13. He's your responsibility, that's what we said. And Joseph's like, oh, I forgot. Yeah, you said that. Just got caught up with all the stuff when we were leaving. Oh no, so they, oh, family, friends. He's probably around the campfire, wasn't there. He was a day's journey away. So they stayed the next day, went back and they're looking at like Toys R Us, and that closed down, so they went to Kmart, that went out of business too, so they went to Walmart, he wasn't there, they're like, where is it? So they went to the playground, it's like, oh man, where's Jesus? And they finally were like, I don't know, maybe he's at the temple, let's go check before we like freak out and go crazy. If you ever lost a child, you know that pit and that feeling in your heart, in, in like right here, you know, the, the top of your stomach that starts sinking of all the fears and worse things. We're at Hume Lake and, and Micah, went with me to go see this ice hockey thing and broom hockey and, and then Jenna comes down and I went to go check on something and I was like, hey, Micah, stay with mom. And he's like, okay. And then I came back and Jenna was like, all right, let's go. Where's Micah? And I'm like, uh, he was with you. Jenna was like, no, I left him with you. True, you did. And I, oh man, where's Micah? He's probably right around here. It's, there's a pond and there's snow everywhere and there's a big lake. Micah wouldn't go crazy far away. It's like family and so we tell a guy, because after 15, 20 minutes, Jenna starts freaking out, and then I'm freaking out, because I'm like, okay, I'm trying to stay calm, but I can't anymore. It's been too long. Where's Micah? So I run to the, across the whole camp to the dining area, and I open the door, and my buddy's working there. And I'm like, hey, have you seen my son? He's like, yeah, I did, like 10 minutes ago. He came in and asked where you were, and I said I hadn't seen you, so he left. I'm like, you, you let, like, my three-year-old just, like, walk out of here? He's like, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm like, no, What? But it's my fault. It's not your, but it, ah. So I went back another way. You can go back across a creek, and the other way is the road. And I had a buddy go look for him, and, and he found him at the, on the roadside playing in the snow. And as he comes back, Mike is skipping, and Jenna sprints out and embraces him. And Mike is like, geez, Mom, like, what happened to you? He didn't know. You think about when they found Jesus, though, he, he wasn't, he wasn't just annoying, but he was amazing. It says, three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Verse 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. You see, he wasn't a bother to the PhD and the pastors. He was amazing to them. It's amazing what a mind set on God's word will be able to absorb, isn't it? I found this, so I thought you'd be encouraged by it. I was, check this little clip out of a little kid who memorized some scripture. Do everything without confining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault. Very good. Philippians. Philippians. Two, fourteen, through fifteen. Good job, babe. 
<laughs> the smile killed me. So a couple things. Obviously, you know she's already, at that young age, more articulate than her dad. So she's got that. And she, it's amazing as you think about kids' minds. Jesus is there with the elite of the elites, the PhD, the pastors. And they're, they're, that was the moment where they came from all the rural towns to discuss theology and problems. And here's this 12-year-old boy. And he didn't just go, hey, I actually heard this commentary and here's blah, 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 and dropping stuff and, and throwing punches. He would hear questions and, and in Jewish dialect, they never just said truths. They, they always answered a question with a question. So he's not being an annoyance. He's speaking truth. And we don't have anything to go on except what Luke gives us here. Of course, there's the Apocrypha Gospels that are false and kind of fanciful. The Gospel of Thomas and, and Peter that bring up how lonely Jesus was as a kid because he was perfect. And, and so he made these like clay pigeons. And it's all just kind of out of comic stories that were written centuries after these eyewitness accounts were. But Luke reminds us Jesus was still a kid. He was a kid whose parents were like, why did you do this? And I'm sure Joseph, like, that's where Jesus learned how to throw tables. Joseph comes in and throws a chair. Jesus, we're worried about you. Why would you do this? You know, and Jesus is like, I'm going to remember that. I think I'll need that a couple years later. But Mary's like, what? We've been looking everywhere. Why would you do this? So did Jesus sin? I thought he was the sinless Savior. John 8 says, I always do what pleases the Father, Jesus is saying. Hebrews describes Jesus as being tempted in every way, just as you and I are, and yet was without sin. So how was the 12-year-old boy sinless and yet caused distraught and distress to his parents? Well, here's the point. He was capable of unknowingly causing his parents distress. He didn't intend or know it was going to cause his parents stress because he's 100% a 12-year-old boy. His brain's still developing, right? But he is sinless, as he was incapable of knowingly doing it. He wasn't intentionally going, man, my mom, she wouldn't let me get that sucker, so I'm just going to stay back and sneak in out of the caravan and I'll show her. He wasn't knowingly causing her distress, but because he was 100% human, he unknowingly caused stress to his parents. So here's the question. While Jesus being a child prodigy, how can he unknowingly cause his parents stress but knowingly refute and and ask questions to the elite and stump them like how does that happen in the in the years that followed as the church grew there was a heresy monophysite that taught that jesus nature was divine and not human he was just divine and then there there's other thoughts that he was either had a divine nature that lost its divinity because it became human, or he had a human nature that became divine. And then you have, well, then everyone could become gods, right? So there's a lot of problems, and the church was like, hey, what, how do we address this? If Jesus is this sinless Savior, and so there's the, this word theanthropic nature, where it's kind of this bastard word where you take two words and, and jam them together, which I kind of do sometimes, and people are like, what are you trying to say? I'm like, I don't know, I just took two words, and it just kind of mashed together and came out, and they're like, I don't really know what's going on, which is why I'm just going to give you a simple summary, because some of you are like, I didn't know we were having a Theology 101 or 501 class. This is way above my pay grade. The point is, Theos means God, 
Anthropos means man, so you have this God-man, and how does that work? How do you have a divine nature and a human nature? And so plainly put, in, in this conference, this church got together in Chalcedon 454, they clarified by not getting into all the nitty-gritty, they just said, okay, here's the parameters that we understand Jesus being able to be fully human and fully God, saying that we must affirm that he's 100% human and 100% God. And we can't fully explain how that works and how he's there humanly. And the church wisely didn't go into all the different things and they just set these borders. And understand that God is one God in essence and three in person. And when you try and explain that with an egg or water, it's different modes and different things. But the best way to understand simply is that we have one God in essence and three in person. And Jesus is one in person, but he has two essences. He has the humanity and the divinity and 100% of both. And we see this positively affirmed. And the moment you go outside of these four boundaries is when you're, you're into heresy. So number one, Jesus was 100% human. Number two, Jesus was 100% divine, 100% God. And these two natures were perfectly united with, and the fourth thing is there was no mixture or confusion or separation or division. So you, you have to understand as we go through Luke, Luke's saying, hey, Theophilus, check it out. The Holy Spirit came onto Mary and boom, there's a baby. And the shepherds testified of it. Simeon testified of it. Anna testified of it. And they all believed and they didn't have a ton of all the nitty gritty stuff. And in our post-Christian, let's figure out all the nitty why and how. And it's like, whoa, whoa, just time out. These people saw him, believed, and Theophilus, you got to know. People are going to question you. You're going to have doubts about it. But here's the, here's the four parameters that we know that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And anytime you go out of that, you're going to get into some dangerous, heretical places. And so we see Thomas Aquinas had this huge distraction because he was, he was stuck on this. And, and a simple way is to say, look, when Jesus was walking along the seashore before he called disciples, was he divine or was it his humanity that hit, he had legs and hands and, and a mouth. He, he was fully human, but yet when he was talking to the woman at the well and he knew her whole past, there was the divine. When he's sitting here at 12 years old, he's human, he's growing in wisdom. And we see in verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He's human, a 12-year-old, but fully God. And so the divine is speaking to the the human, and helping him grow in wisdom and understanding. And Thomas Aquinas was distracted because he was like, wait, Jesus, being fully God, tells in a human state his disciples, I don't know when I'm coming back, but I'll be back. See ya. Here's some seasons. Here's a lot of warnings. Here's a lot of things to be aware of. But always make sure you're focused on me, is what Jesus' message was. In these last days, and rumors of wars and everything, and you're like, man, why is Brandon just going into all of who Jesus is and his divine, perfect sinless? Because the spiritual war wants you distracted like Thomas Aquinas. He wants you off mission. China is editing the Bible, so John 8, where Jesus addresses a woman caught in adultery, instead of saying, go and sin no more, you know, where are your accusers? Well, neither do I accuse you, go and sin no more. China's editing it to say, actually, I'm a sinner too, and then he stones her and kills her. And so the reason that that's happening isn't, oh, bad, no, the governments are in the hands of the evil one. We just went through Revelation to help us understand that. And today, we're in a spiritual battle, 
And there's distraction all around us. And Jesus says, here's hints, here's seasons. I'm coming back. Don't focus on all the signs looking for the hour. Acknowledge the season you're in. Have your lamps burning. Be holy and be ready because I'm coming quickly. That was his message. Stay focused on me. And as we focus on Jesus, as Luke did for Theophilus, starting with Jesus, to understand he's fully God and fully man, as Ezekiel, Daniel, and Isaiah in the Old Testament were full of the Holy Spirit and had these revelations and understanding of future events in the Old Testament, we see that it's possible, except for Jesus, the most amazing thing is that he was 100% divine. He didn't just have the Holy Spirit fill him up and still had the old man like Paul talks about, I don't do the things I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do. And all of you are like, yes, amen, finally, someone gets it. I'm not perfect. The preacher's not going to hold me to an unreasonable expectation. Except I am, because the scripture does, but that's where grace comes in. And we quickly forget, and Satan distracts us from the reality that the Holy Spirit empowers us, but we're weak, and we need God's grace and his forgiveness every time we fail. The interesting thing as we think about this, and as I study this, it's like, man, I'm going to go before our Heavenly Father, and I'm going to stand there, and he's going to say, Lord willing, hopefully, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want him to, I want to hear. But Jesus at 12 years old, if he walked in here, he would just destroy me with theology and his understanding. Like he would, his mind at 12 years old was way far beyond anything I've learned in my short time studying theology. And these guys were the great of the greats. Why? Imagine the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your what soul and with all your mind with all your heart with all your strength with all your mind 12 year old jesus not affected by sin 100 percent god think about his mind stayed on the lord as we saw a little peyton focused on scripture and be able to memorize and recite it now the other aspect is living it right that's the discipleship and the patience i need as a parent to help her do what she said she wanted to do through memorizing scripture but imagine how messed up my mind is with Disney Plus, social media, emails, all the things. Oh, a new truck, fix this, fix that, go see this, do this, all the things. And Jesus, 12 years old, didn't have one sinful, distracted thought. It was always fixed on God. At 12 years old, imagine how full of knowing God he was. And yet it says in verse 52, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He grew. He set the example of what it means to be a disciple. He was discipled by his parents. He had righteous parents that obeyed God, knew the purpose, and were like, okay, yeah, you're right. Why would we look at the toy store or the playground? Of course you'd be in your father's house. This is where we've been training you. This is where your purpose is, is to bring good news to the whole world. And yet for our mind and our body, our mind's been affected. And I think it's the area where the battles fought and the most underrated and underprotected because sometimes we can follow logic which is going the way right that's like our culture continues to to not allow for logic and reason and sin gets in and perverts it 100% God 100% man standing amazing them with his answers which were questions 
And his parents were astonished, and his mother said, Son, why have you treated us so bad? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus answers her question with a question, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The next 18 years until he was 30 years old, he grew and he was discipled to make disciples. What was he like at 12 and at 30? Fully God, fully man. And for us, where are we at on the discipleship wheel? Where are we in our knowledge of God? Has sin got a hold of your mind and are you allowing things to come in and and control your thoughts and your mind that you need healing from and and hope that, that Jesus and grace, that he would fill you with the Spirit to control your mind. And as you look at this, it's like a dashboard in your car. And when the, the tire pressure monitor goes off, or, or the maintenance, or the check engine light, it lets you know kind of what's going on. And here in the life of a believer, it's either you're, you're spiritually dead, you don't believe there's a God, you don't believe Jesus is God, and you're like, yeah, he's not Lord at all. Or maybe you're saved and you're saying, no, Jesus is Lord of all of my life. I'm just an infant stage where I I know I need food and I know I need to know God more and I know I need community, but I don't know how it works and I need someone to help me like very significantly and immediately. And then the next stage is a child. And as you saw even Peyton in that stage, she like kind of knows what to say, but really is self-focused, right? When, and there's that feeling and I love that smile which is like, you're proud of me, right? Like I want recognition. Like kids always want to know, hey, watch me, watch me, watch me. Hey, look at me, hey, feed me. Hey, hey, play the songs I want, Podge. Hey, pray the prayer, hey, teach the topics I want to feel good as a child. And then a young adult, you're focused on others because you're so excited about the experience and God's amazing, he revealed this to me, don't you see it? And then your friend's like, I don't, I don't understand. What, I don't understand scripture. You don't know what's right here. Jesus is fully God, fully man. I don't even, what? I don't even believe in, like, you're others focused, but you're having a hard time, like, communicating. And you don't know when or how to share the gospel, but you know you should, and you're feeling compelled. That's where discipleship, having an older brother or sister in Christ to help pray with you and, and walk that through, because the next stage is the parent, where you're reproducing, you're, you're finding people, and people are coming to you, and and you're helping take them on the journey. And the, my favorite part about that is we're called to go. Mary and Joseph were called to go, and they're righteous parents. And then they experienced along the way their purpose of their son. And their purpose as parents to disciple the ultimate disciple maker. And they felt like they failed as parents. Oh, we lost Jesus. Imagine that prayer from Joseph. Hey God, you know that son you gave us? That was the only son of God? There wasn't another? Okay, we'll find him, don't worry. You know, but God said, no, you, you pursued and you found Jesus in the place where of course he'd be. And for us, is Jesus Lord of all of our life? And if he is, then the Holy Spirit's probably prompting you and saying, you need an older believer to, to disciple you. Or maybe you're like, man, I've been following Christ and and I need someone that I need to disciple because I need to pour out all that I've been filled up with. And Jesus came and and Luke's telling Theophilus, look, as a young believer, here's all of the truths that are going to help remind you that Jesus has to be Lord of all of your life. Have that control that Simeon prophesied, that Jesus came to be 100% man, 100% God, to be that spotless lamb that the shepherds saw lying in the manger to remove our sin and give us a new life in him. 
And we define disciple this way, because some of you are probably like, what is a disciple? I'm supposed to do it, I'm supposed to be it, I'm supposed to make somebody one. We've defined it simply, a humble servant committed to following Christ, committed to following Jesus. And that work is done by the Holy Spirit to make us humble, because naturally we're selfish. Just can't imagine the shame and humility. Mary is like, oh my goodness, we lost the only son of God. And realizing, okay, I'm humble. Like God's in control. Jesus is God. Yet my son, how does that work? I don't know. I mean, how many times does she pray at night? Lord, how do I raise you? Like, God, help me raise your, what? And yet the humility of a follower of Christ to serve all as Jesus came to serve all, committed to following him wherever he leads us, and the natural tendency is just to avoid Jesus. Some people are like, that oh, was kind of hard getting into those 100% who, what, who's on second, what's on first kind of conversation. Are we amazed by Jesus? Do we wonder all through the last two chapters, the Holy Spirit drew people, and do we come weekly going, wow, Jesus, you chose me, you saved me, you love me. I can't wait to know more. Or are we avoiding him? And are we saying, no, you're not Lord of anything of my life? Are we saying, Jesus, you're Lord of all? And as Jesus modeled for us, he grew in wisdom and stature. Are we growing so that we can go and make disciples? Are we growing? I want to give you time to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and encourage you and remind you that he's here for you. He's here in you, and he has a purpose for you. And there's nothing in this world, no height nor depth is going to do anything to separate you from the love of Christ love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so as you pray, know the Holy Spirit's praying for you, here to comfort you and heal you. And I'm gonna come up and, and close this in a minute.